Brothers and sisters, God is good. God is good. All the time, God is good. Amen. I invite you to take your Bibles and turn, if you will, to 1 John chapter 4 and follow as I read beginning at verse 12. I want to go back to verse 7. We'll pick up where we were last week. And we'll read down through verse 16. Beloved, let us love one another, for love is of God, and everyone who loves is born of God and knows God. He who does not love does not know God, for God is love. In this, the love of God was manifested toward us, that God has sent his only begotten Son into the world, that we might live through him, And this is love, not that we love God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we also ought to love one another. No one has seen God at any time. If we love one another, God abides in us. And his love has been perfected in us. By this we know that we abide in him and he in us. Because he he has given us of his spirit. And we have seen and testify that the father has sent the son a savior of the world. Whoever confesses that Jesus is the son of God, God abides in him. And he in God. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love. And he who, ab- <coughs> he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Father, as we come today before your word, we ask the very same spirit who inspired the writers of scripture to come to be our teacher to give help both in the preaching and the hearing of your word today. We know it is all futile apart from you, Lord, that you yourself would make your word live to us. And we pray that, that you would do that now. Give us ears to hear. And may we have hearts to hear and to receive the implanted word of God. We pray and ask this all for the glory of Jesus Christ, our Savior, in whose name we pray. Amen. I believe this portion of 1 John, what we looked at last week and these verses that follow are probably the richest part of this epistle. I love these verses, particularly verse 10 that we looked at last week. Here in his love, not that we have loved God, but that he has loved us and he has sent his only begotten son to be the propitiation for our sins, to turn away the wrath of God in our place. And that's what Jesus did on the cross. He bore our sins in his body on the tree. And if we be in Christ, we are forgiven. We have been pardoned. God's wrath has been absorbed by Christ and we are forgiven. As we continue, this is right in the midst of where John is talking about brotherly love, that we are called to love one another. 
This is the third time he has addressed this subject in his little epistle. And he says, this is one of the marks of genuine faith. That those who have been born of God, who are children of God, are going to be like their father from where this love comes from. Because God is love. And when the Spirit gives life, there is a transformation that takes place. And they become like the Father. And one of the places it is seen, among others, is in love for those who also have been born of God. As we come this morning to verse 12, I think we're probably not going to get through any more than just verse 12 today. So that's comfort for you as you hear. I know you've got Father's Day plans and everything, but this is a wonderful verse here. And I think what we see here is God's love residing in Christian hearts. This is really a miracle of God's grace. And this is, as John says here, this is the perfecting of God's love. And so we want to consider this outworking of God's love that has come to us through the Lord Jesus Christ. The new birth, as John has spoken about in verse 7, let us love one another. And everyone that loves has been born of God. For John, this is an important truth, the new birth, re generation. It is a supernatural work of God. It's a work of divine grace. It's not something we perform. We are passive in this. This is the grace of God that has come to us and has birthed us into the kingdom of Christ. And when that happens, there is a change. There is a new creation that is brought about by God's grace. And he makes people who left to themselves, are self-centered, selfish. They're not lovers of God. There's enmity in their heart toward God, and he makes them to be a, a new creation. And there is a love for God. Later here in this chapter, John says, we love him because he first loved us. That's one of the effects of the new birth. This will always be the case. They will be lovers of God. But John is concerned here with something that is more down to earth where we live that we can see and know. And that's he makes us to be lovers of one another, of those who have been born of God. As he says in chapter 5 and verse 1, that those who have been born of God are going to love those who have been born of God. And again, this is the supernatural grace and mercy of God. That we who are by nature self-serving, who are selfish who are lovers of ourselves rather than lovers of God, that this new creation brings about wonderful changes and makes the child of God to begin to display more and more the love of God in their own life. And so John's argument is that this is supernatural. It is inevitable. This is what will happen in those who have been born of God, and therefore it becomes a test of genuine faith. We will know those who have been born of God because, yes, they love God, but they also love one another. They love those who have been born of God. They love the people of God. 
And so this morning in verse 12, we see the perfection of the love of God. And we notice John, as he begins this, he says, no one has seen God at any time. We see here the invisibility of God and his abiding presence. Now, this might seem like a strange statement that's kind of inserted here by John. He's been talking about love, the love of God, the, the, the work of the spirit, uh, the new birth, and loving one another. And then he makes this statement, no one has seen God at any time. This might seem to be a little strange here um, in light of what he has been talking about, but I hope we see that what John is saying makes perfect sense. Where else in the Bible do we see that statement about the invisibility of God? No one has seen God at any time. Well, if we go back to John's gospel, Big John, this is little John. The Gospel of John is Big John. We find it in John 1.18, where we see where John tells us that no one has seen God at any time, but it is the Son who has revealed him to us. But this God is invisible. He cannot be seen with the eye. He is a spirit. And Jesus says, those who worship God, that God is a spirit, and those who worship him must worship him in spirit. And in truth, God does not have a body as we have. And so in a lot of the catechisms, you'll hear that. Who is God? Well, God is a spirit, and he does not have a body like men. He is infinite. He is eternal. He is unchangeable. You don't see him. He is a spirit. 1 Timothy 1.17, now to the king eternal, immortal, invisible, To God who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. Amen. And something similar is given in 1 Timothy 6, as Paul concludes the book of 1 Timothy. As we think about God in his essence, you cannot see that. He is a spirit, and you cannot see that which is a spirit Even though there are theophanies, as we read through our Bibles and the Old Testament, there were times that God appeared in a form. He came to Moses at a burning bush, you remember? You remember Moses in Exodus where he was at Mount Sinai, the Lord came down, and and Moses said, Lord, I want to see your glory. And the Lord says, I'm not going to show you my face because if any man sees my face, he will not live. It would be too overwhelming for a sinner to see the very essence of God in its fullness. And I'm going to put you in the cleft of the rock, and I'm going to pass by, and you will see my backside, if you will. Some have said, you will see my non-consuming attributes. I will show you my glory, of grace, and of mercy. And he speaks to him there of his goodness. And so there are those times that God has revealed himself in theophanies or Christophanies. He appears as a man, but... There's not seen God as it were. It is just a manifestation of his presence that it's known, but God himself is not seen. He is invisible, and he does not have a body as we have. And uh, however, what we see here, this God who is invisible, John goes on to say this, that if we love one another, that God... This God who is invisible and who is infinite, he abides in us. It's amazing 
amazing statement that is given here. This invisible God is seen in his people as they love one another. And this is an indication that God, this holy God, abides with them. He has come to tabernacle in them. And it is seen and known because they love one another. And this is an amazing statement, that he abides with them. Now, there may have been those who were these false teachers that John was addressing who were maybe claiming, well, they had seen God because they were talking about this special revelation, this special knowledge that they have of God, and they maybe had made statements like this, that they had seen God. And, and John says, no, God is invisible. You, you cannot see God. But then he tells them this truth that he dwells in the lives of his people. There's a sense in which he comes and tabernacles and abides in them. This is an amazing and astonishing thing. Now, we need to note here that John is, he's not saying that if we are loving our brethren, then God will come and abide in us. No, he is saying that God abides in those who do love the brethren, he's already there. And this is why they love the brethren, because he abides in them. This love is demonstrated. It is known. Verse 19, we love him because he first loved us. And his love is going to be evidenced in the fact that we love one another. This will be demonstrated. Paul uses, or John uses present tense verbs when he says we are to love one another. We are to love one another continually. And God abides in us continually. That's also a present tense. As we are loving the brethren, God is one who is abiding within us. Again, it is a sign of the grace of God, the fingerprints of the grace of God upon one's life. And Paul is or John is writing to give assurance. This is how we know that we have been born of God. This is how we know and can have assurance of salvation because we see this quality of love in us and that God, it is an encouragement and assurance that God abides in us. Now note that brotherly love is the perfection of God's love. John goes on here to say that God abides in us, and his love has been perfected in us. He, he uses this word perfected here and down in verses 17 and 19. We'll get to those next week. But this word that he uses here has been perfected is the idea to accomplish something, to finish something, to bring it to completeness, to bring it to an end, to reach a goal. Jesus used this word in John 17 as he's ready to go to the cross. As he prays to his father, he says, I have finished, I have finished the work that you have given me to do. It is accomplished. As I go to the cross, I'm finished the, finishing the mission that you have given me to accomplish as I have come into this world. It reaches its intended purpose. And here in this context, Brotherly love in the heart of redeemed sinners is the accomplishment of God's love in them. 
He makes them to be loving. The tense that he uses here in the Greek is that God has done this. It's not something that's being perfected. Now, we know that has to be more and more true of us. We need to love more and more. We understand that. But what John is looking at here is that it has, in one sense, it has been perfected already. This love that has come down from God, that has come through Jesus Christ as he has made propitiation to us, and in the hearts of those who have been born again, and they are loving, this is a perfected work. It has reached its goal. This is the intended goal, that God would make self-serving, self-loving people to be loving people. And God has accomplished this in the hearts of his people. This is the goal, and this goal has been reached to everyone who has been born of God. It has been accomplished. It has, been, uh, it, is, it, is, it has reached its intended goal. So his love for sinners reaches its goal when they become like him, and they manifest his love, the fingerprints of grace upon one's life. It's a love that is like the love of God. It's not this superficial love that we hear about in our world. It is biblical love. It is a divine love. And like the love of God, it is sacrificial. It is giving of oneself. It is the serving of others. Not because they pat me on the back and now I'm going to pat them on the back, but I do good to all that I can by God's grace. You remember... In Matthew 25, Jesus talks about in the last day, he will say to those on his right hand, enter into the joy that has been prepared for you. Enter into the presence of the Lord, into this kingdom. And how are they identified? How are they known? Well, they gave a cup of cold water. They gave clothing. They served others. And as much as you did it unto these, the least of my brethren, you did it unto me wasn't seeking to get something back. It wasn't seeking a reward. But it is a love that just overflows and goes out to others. This is this kind of love. And it loves in hard places. Love is hard, isn't it? Loving others, loving others in the body of Christ. It is often difficult and hard. But this is the kind of love with which God has loved us. When we were his enemies, he loved us, sent his son redeem and to save us it is a love that is forbearing it's a love that's patient it's a love that's forgiving it's a love that is serving it is described for us in first corinthians 13 this is the love of god worked out in the heart of an individual jesus said in his sermon on the mount if you love those who love you what reward have you Do not even tax collectors do the same. And if you greet your brethren only, what do you do more than others? For even the tax collectors do so. It is a love that reaches out to meet needs of others. And this love is a persevering love. Again, these are present tense verbs that John uses throughout the book of 1 John when he talks about loving to continually love one another through the ups and downs, the hard days and the good days. A persevering love. 
It's hard to love people, isn't it? The closer we get to people, we know that there are things that are maybe sometimes difficult. And it's that way in a marriage as well, isn't it? The closer you get to bring two people together, their sin and things that are inside often come out. And this is where love covers a multitude of sins. This is where love is persevering. It presses on. And so this love is a persevering love in the same way in which God loves us. God doesn't just love us when we have a good day. God loves us perfectly. He loves us continuously. It is an everlasting love with which the people of God have been loved. And so God's love originates in himself. God is love, as we saw last week in verse 8. God is love. This love has been manifested and shown through his Son, Jesus Christ, his only begotten son, his beloved son that he's sent into this world for this purpose, to redeem and to save a people for himself by giving his life and making propitiation for this sin. And now this love has been perfected in his people. It has reached their hearts and it is being effected in them and it has reached the goal that God has intended that they now become like their father, that they love and they manifest this love, the fingerprints of God's grace upon their life. I've had had occasions to work with our electrician here at Bible Chapel, uh, Jim Leichter, and um, you know, as you do electrical work, you've got your electric panel I never mess with that. Jim's the one that always deals with that, or I would not be standing before you today if I tried that. But I can run wires, and I can put things in boxes, but he always connects it to the source, the power source. And once that is accomplished and you flip the fuse, the electric goes through the line and it lights the light bulb, or it turns on the refrigerator or whatever it is you're working on. And it is perfected. It has reached its goal. The light comes on. This love of God that comes from God who is love himself comes to us through Christ and is born in us by the Spirit of God and it reaches its goal so that we become like him. The light goes on. There is love that is manifested towards one another and even toward our enemies and all all in our hearts a love towards God. This love has been perfected. It has reached its goal in us. Now, what are the implications of this? John is certain. As he writes his epistle, he is certain that this will always be the case. This will always be the case in anyone that has been born of God. This is the evidence of grace, along with these other tests that he gives, such as righteousness. If we know that he is righteous, we know that everyone that has been born of God is righteous also, and they will be pursuing after righteousness. Those who have been born of God, 
who is love. They will become like God. They will demonstrate love. And in John's case, here he is putting the emphasis on love to the brethren. We do not see God, but John says, how can we say that we love God who we do not see and we hate our brother? That, that's, that can't be. But as we love one another, we are showing by that that we really do know the true and the living God and we love him as we seek to love one another. And so if we're a believer today, we have reason to give praise and glory and honor to God. If we can see the fingerprints of grace upon our life, that there is a love for Christ's people Those who've been born of God, this is the signs of grace, the grace of God, that we would love one another. And Paul tells us in Romans 8.29 that God has predestined us. He has predestined us to be conformed to the image and the likeness of Christ. This is what God's purpose is in saving sinners, to make them like Christ. And this is one of the things that we'll be seeing. The first fruit that is mentioned in the fruit of the Spirit is love. But I think we see some other things here. This wonderful truth that God abides in us. We see this again in verse 16. And we have known and believed the love that God has for us. God is love, and he who abides in love abides in God and God in him. Think about that for a moment. This holy God abides in his people. Verse 13 says, this we know that we abide in him and he in us because he has given us of his spirit. John 14, 23 makes this statement Jesus says if you love me you will keep my commandments and I and the father we will come and we will abide in you we will make our abode in you this is hard for us to comprehend but there's a, a real sense in which Christ dwells within us the father dwells within us the spirit dwells within us they have made their abode with us. And this is an amazing, amazing truth. Now, I think John brings up this statement that is in the prologue in John 1.18, because as we read there in John 1.18, it says this, that no man has seen God at any time, the only begotten of the Father, who is in the bosom of the Father, he has revealed him to us. Jesus, it says, is in the bosom of the Father. Speaking of intimacy, there's this closeness, this intimacy between the Lord Jesus Christ, the Son, and his Father. He's in the bosom, the place of close intimacy. And I think John, as he brings up the thought of First John, or of John 1.18, he's reminding us that that's where we are, as it were, That because of Christ and being in Christ, there's this closeness, this intimacy that we have with the Godhead, with the Father. That we too know him and we are joined to him. It's an amazing thing. Isaiah 57, 15 says, Thus says the high and the lofty one, this transcendent God, 
who inhabits eternity. He's eternal. Whose name is holy. He's transcendent. He's eternal. He is holy. I dwell in the high and the holy place. And then it says this, and with him who has a contrite and a humble spirit. This God who inhabits eternity is the one who who dwells with the contrite and with the humble. There is this wonderful truth that even as Jesus is in the bosom of the Father, in a very real sense, we are in that very same place being in Christ. As Jesus prayed in John 17 in his high priestly prayer, he says that, I do not pray for these alone, speaking of his disciples, but I also pray for those who will believe in me through their word. That would be you and I if we were in Christ. Jesus prayed for us that night. That the world may know that you have sent me and that you have loved them. It's an amazing statement by our Lord Jesus Christ. That you have loved them, his people, as you have loved me. Think about that. That you have loved them even as you have loved me. And Father, I desire that they also whom you gave me may be with me where I am. And so as we think of this verse here in John 1.18 that is alluded to here in 1 John 4.12, this God abides with us and we know him. We have this wonderful position of being united to him and he abides in us. There's another humbling truth that is given there in, in John 1, 18. Jesus says that I, I am in the bosom of the Father. And as I've come into this world, I have declared him. I have made him known. This invisible God, I have declared him. I've made him known. This is where we get the word exegesis. When you exegete the scriptures, you Get out what is there. And this is what Jesus has done. He's exegeted the Father to us. And he could say to Philip, when Philip says, just show us the Father. And, and he says to Philip, if you have seen me, what? You've seen the Father. If you've seen me, you've seen the Father. Incarnate deity. He is manifest the Father. Now, as we think about that, John, I believe, is saying to us the same. Just as the Son, who has shown forth the Father in his words and in his works, even so we, the Son has gone back to the Father, is at the right hand of the Father, even we now, we are to declare and show forth by our words and by our works what God is like. And so as people would look at us, they should be able to see something, not perfectly. Christ did this perfectly. But they should see something of the character of God and particularly the love of God. Ought to be something that is manifested in God's people. In Ephesians 5.1, Paul says, be imitators of God. Be imitators of God. 
as you are in this world, be a witness by your life to the reality of the unseen God. Nature is telling us something about God. It declares to us his divine nature. It declares to us his power, as Romans 1 tells us. But nature cannot show us the love of God, the grace of God. But that is something that is to be seen in God's people, there to declare him, there to manifest this love in their own life. So Jesus could say, by this all men will know that you are my disciples if you love one another. As they look at you, they should know that you're my disciples by your love for one another. But also, this ought to be the experience with one another in the body of Christ, shouldn't it? Should this not be something that describes the body of Christ? The love of God is manifested in the presence of God's people. It is known, it is seen, it is enjoyed. One commentator says, this love whose will to bless men is not deterred by demerit or unattractiveness that bears another's burden that bears another's burden it dries another's tears it forgives injuries it overcomes evil with good love which is prompt to help those who need our help hoping for nothing in return then the love that manifests itself in us is that divine love kind of love which is most worthy of the name Yea, it is God himself within us, acting out his life in ours. It is his love that is fulfilled in us. So as we close this morning, we could ask this question. What do people see when they watch me? Are they seeing someone that's selfish, self-centered, self-focused or do they see the love of God the sacrificial love of God with which we have been loved that is being manifest and radiating forth from our life as fathers as Father's Day make an application what are our children seeing in us are they seeing the love of our heavenly father as it is being manifested in us as we seek to love our children. May God help us by his grace to be a people like this and I thank God. I thank God for his grace to us here at Bible Chapel. I thank God for your love for one another and may it increase, may it increase in us. And may we seek to demonstrate that more and more in our lives. Next week we'll see, this was the second point, which we obviously didn't get to. But this vital ministry is only possible by the indwelling spirit of God. He'll go on to talk about how the spirit is affecting these things in our life. We can't do this. It's not by might and it's not by power. It is only by the indwelling spirit who makes this possible that we could ever be people that would love in the way in which God loves. And so we take hope in that, don't we? It's not based upon our resources. It's not based on our abilities. 
but the Spirit of God who lives within us to make us this kind of people by his grace. Well, let's stand and we'll be dismissed with a word of prayer. Father, today as we close, we thank you for such love with which you have loved us. And all grace, all glory goes to you for the grace that you have bestowed upon us in Christ. We thank you for the work of your spirit, whose work will be seen and manifested in those that he dwells in. He will be making them to be more like Christ. And if there is anyone here that is outside of Christ, as they look at their life, this isn't true of them. They're selfish, self-centered, not lovers of God, but lovers of themselves. May you, by your spirit, bring them to repent of their sin and call upon Christ to save them in every way in which they need to be saved from sin and from themselves. And Lord, do a work in our hearts. Make us to be the people you've called us to be. We thank you that you will not fail in your work and in your mission. You who began the good work in us, you will accomplish that. You will bring it to full fruition one day. And we do thank you for that. Take your word and seal it to our hearts. And go with us, we pray. And now unto the King eternal, immortal, invisible, To God, who alone is wise, be honor and glory forever and ever. And all of God's people said, Amen. Amen. May the Lord bless you. You are dismissed.